So here we are on, uh, on Yom Kippur, uh, and uh, we uh, are on this journey, as we have, uh, as we have been uh, uh, saying, uh, and uh, we begin, of course, we began uh, uh, by saying that uh, uh, may our, may our uh, name be written, and then, uh, uh, this is what we say on Rosh Hashanah, and then on Yom Kippur, may our name be sealed, see? Uh, and the idea there is, is that on these holidays, the tradition is, is that God opens up, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, opens up these books, right? Uh, there's a book of life, there's a book of death, and there's even like a, a, a book uh, in, in between, right? And, uh, and the question is, Will our name be inscribed in the book of life, or will our name be inscribed, you know, sealed in the in the in the book of life or the book of death? Now, first, let me just share with you, and I hope this doesn't burst any bubbles. But God is not like an old man in the sky that has like these giant dusty books, right, and a big like felt pen with a big feather on it, right, uh, and writing feverishly, feverishly writing down our names. Uh, I do think that is kind of what gets conjured up in our mind uh, a, a little bit. The idea behind that tradition is that we're accountable to God. And that uh, on, and of course you read about the book of life in the Bible, right? Uh, and, and the idea is that we're accountable to God and where will our name be written? I will tell you that I, I don't think, although I'm sure I will be corrected, uh, uh, that uh, during the year, if a person dies, I've never, ever heard of anybody saying, well, you know, it goes back to last Yom Kippur, right? Uh, their name was written in the book of death, and that's why they died this year. I have never heard that, uh, ever, you know? And so it, it's a concept, right? It's an idea, uh, a picture um, um, uh, uh, to remind us that, that we're accountable to God. And that is a big deal at this, in this season you know, that we're accountable to God. Uh, we say it oftentimes. We don't always say it. We kind of assume it, you know, in a spiritual setting. Uh, but the fact is, is I think we forget about it a lot of the time. And I know when I think about my own life, the day in, day out, the temptations and just the, the stuff of life that happens, uh, I forget sometimes that, whoa, I am accountable to God. It's like Yeshua is standing right here. I'm accountable for every word that comes out of my mouth. I'm accountable for every action. Even my thoughts, oh, take me off the ground now, right? Because that is so convicting. Well, that's how it should be on this holiday, on Yom Kippur. I, and the wonderful thing is, you know, sometimes people will ask, what is the difference if I go to a... Um, uh, a synagogue that is not a messianic uh, congregation, uh, you know, Orthodox, conservative, Reform, Reconstructionist, whatever, whatever it might be. Well, there's a, you know, there's a number of different things when it comes to liturgy and style of worship and things of that nature. But in terms of the tenor of everything, when you get right down to it, may I suggest to us that the difference is, is that in a messianic congregation, we come with an assurance of salvation. I, uh, we are not begging, saying, God, please, you know, please um, uh, uh, forgive me, uh, you know, based on your attributes of mercy and compassion. 
please forgive me. Now, I, uh, as believers in Messiah, I, we need to have a heart of contrition and a broken heart. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is an assurance and confidence uh, in the Messiah. I, and so I, I, we uh, can say unequivocally that, that as believers, we are sealed, right? We are sealed uh, in the book of life. Uh, we read it in several different places uh, in uh, the scriptures. We are sealed via the Ruach, via the Ruach HaKodesh, right? The sealing of the uh, Spirit. Uh, however, we live uh, in a world and in a life where uh, if we say that we don't sin, we make God a liar, right? And so how important it is to confess our our uh, sins. All right. And, and so, uh, as uh, Messiah followers, we approach uh, the holidays uh, really a, uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit differently. Uh, and, uh, and so we begin by uh, looking at this holiday and we say, uh, what is it about? Well, it is indeed uh, about uh, reconciliation about reconciliation uh, with, uh, with God. Uh, and uh, we could say that, uh, you know, as human beings, we have a, uh, within us a, uh, a desire, whether we realize it or not, we have a desire uh, for reconciliation. That uh, when I do something, as a, as a healthy person, we might say, when I do something, and I do something that is uh, that I do something that is wrong, that uh, I feel guilty, and uh, there is a need uh, for uh, for forgiveness. And the fact is, is that as human beings, whether we realize it or not, uh, we live in a world where there we do not receive this. Uh, 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 forgiveness from, from God, whether we believe in God or we don't believe in God. We're created in His image and in His likeness. But God gives us this great gift uh, that we can uh, have really uh, true uh, uh, forgiveness. And, uh, and so therefore, uh, uh, this holiday of Yom Kippur is certainly uh, a great gift of God. When we talk about repenting, uh, repenting requires uh, 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 reconciliation. Uh, so on Rosh Hashanah, we have at the beginning of the, hol- the beginning of this season the repentance on Yom Kippur uh, reconciliation. So uh, what is Yom Kippur about? What is the day uh, of, uh, of atonement uh, about? All right, so we can turn in our Bible for a moment to a couple of passages, and that is Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 25, or I should say 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire uh, to the Lord. Neither shall you do any work on this same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. 
If there is any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on this same day, that person I will destroy from among your people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall humble your souls on the ninth uh, of the month and the evening. From evening until evening you shall keep your Sabbath. Well, something that uh, just by observation is uh, kind of interesting uh, about this is if you look at uh, Rosh Hashanah, if you look at the Feast of Trumpets in verses 23 to 25, and then you look at um, Yom Kippur, verses 26 to 32, you see that in verses 26 to 32, there's a lot more like warnings and, and how important it is to humble your soul. So we see that, uh, you know, what an important and, uh, and profound uh, uh, a day uh, that it is. And so what is the Day of Atonement? Uh, well, we could say that it is uh, the, well, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for atonement, kapur, kafar, is a, is a very interesting word that has a lot of usages, lots of usages, okay? Uh, but when you boil it all down, when we're talking about uh, atonement, uh, we would say uh, that it means to, uh, it's used for to be a ransom, to wipe away our sins, to purge sins, to cover sins. I, one could say that it is the means by which sins are forgiven by God. The process of making atonement is that a sacrifice is offered as a ransom for the people. Uh, atonement uh, is uh, uh, the act of wiping sins uh, away. So uh, it's interesting how the word uh, how the word is used. Sometimes the word is used to mean forgive. There's uh, several uh, interesting uh, passages. For example, if you look in uh, the book of Deuteronomy in uh, chapter 21, in verse um, 8, in the Bible I'm using, it says, Forgive thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of thy people Israel. Uh, and the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. Well, there are other translations, and maybe you have one of them, that doesn't use the word forgive, but uh, accept atonement uh, uh, for your people Israel. Uh, and, and so it's rather interesting that uh, in a number of places, and I won't take the time to read them all, but in, in the Psalms, in Psalm 78, in verse 38, Psalm 79, and verse 9, and a couple of other places, most of the time, the word is translated forgive. So it tells you that in the, we could call it the constellation of usages of the word, it has a lot to do with, uh, with forgiveness, okay? Um, but uh, oftentimes, when we think of the word atonement, as in day of atonement or atoning how do we use it how do we use it in our own uh, vernacular it's something you do uh, to repair a situation you know uh, like reparations for sins you know 
I, I doing something. I, I, I did something to you, so I need to atone for what I've done. And so I will do X, Y, and Z. When you read it in the Bible, when you read it in the, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the Torah, it was the process of bringing a variety of offerings uh, and slaughtering them in, in ritual ways. And as a result, people would be forgiven. The classic passage is actually in um, the book of Leviticus in the, in the fourth uh, chapter there, in the 20th verse. It says, He shall also do with the bull just as he did with the bull of the sin offering. Thus he shall do with it, so the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. The priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. Uh, and so uh, that's a classic passage. Atonement is this process of, uh, you know, of bringing the, uh, the offering, right? In another place that may be familiar with us, a few chapters down in chapter 17 of Leviticus, uh, you read in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is about not eating blood, right? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for you, for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. And so here we see that there is a, um, we could call it a ransom that's paid. The word isn't used, but it, it functions that way, like paying the price. The, the uh, blood of the animal makes atonement. There's a substitution uh, that, is, uh, that is made uh, uh, for, uh, for, the, uh, for the people. Now, if you go one chapter back, the classic passage on the Day of Atonement, it is in chapter 16 of, uh, of Leviticus, and very briefly here. The first verse helps us, I think, to understand what's going on. In, verse, in chapter 16 of Leviticus, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord, uh, and died. Okay, so it's interesting that at the beginning of uh, the passage about Yom Kippur, we're reminded about Nadab and Abihu. We're reminded of what happened in chapter ten. Now, when we have, when we do this as in our Torah study, I always bring this up, and that is chapter sixteen should then come. That should really be chapter eleven, right? Because in chapter 10, we read about the sins of Nadab and Abihu. And now in chapter 16, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. But you have chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 sandwiched in between. Why is that? Good question, right? Uh, and uh, we could say, for our purposes here tonight, it has something to do with purification. That the job of the priest was to determine what is clean and what was unclean. And in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, you have a variety. It's like the handbook of the priests. This is what you do in a variety of different situations to determine if something is pure or impure, clean or unclean, okay? And so here it's topped off with chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. And when you read this chapter very carefully, uh, it is almost all about purging sin. Purging sin. In fact, believe it or not, you don't read the word forgiveness in the chapter, but you read about being clean a number of different times. Cleanse the holy place, cleanse the mercy seat, 
cleanse the priests, cleanse the people, and, 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 purge, uh, and purge away uh, uh, the sins. And that is the primary meaning of uh, this holiday. Now, it, it obviously, from, from other passages, inc- means that we're reconciled to God. The word reconcile isn't there either. Reconciled to God through the Day of Atonement, uh, and, indeed, uh, and indeed forgiven. So if you look uh, in the chapter, if we go, back, if we go down to uh, verse 15, of Leviticus uh, 16. After Aaron uh, cleanses himself and cleanses the holy place, then we read about the offering of the goats, right? Someone mentioned, uh, said to me, should I bring my goats to the service? I thought it would be uh, quite, uh, quite an object lesson, wouldn't it? But the cleaning bill would be too big for us to handle, so uh, we're not doing it. Okay. So in verse 15, it says, after everything else is cleansed, then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which, by the way, literally means purification offering, okay? Literally means purification offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. By the way, uh, you know, the word for mercy seat is also uh, derived from uh, kapur, kapar, okay. uh, kapurit, right? Uh, and so it's very interesting that the place where the blood is sprinkled uh, is sort of like the place of atonement, you know, the place of atonement. All right. So it says, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides uh, with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Okay? All right. And so this is how uh, reconciliation takes place. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all the sides. And with his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it from the impurities of the sons of Israel. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, then he shall offer the live goat. Okay. Now the live goat, this is the one where he's going to place his hands on the head of the live goat, as it says and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So the people are cleansed and sin is purged. So the idea is, is that the, uh, uh, one of the goats dies as a substitution for the people, and the other goat takes, as a, uh, a visual for the people, takes the sins away into the wilderness. And what is that goat called? It's called the scapegoat, right? It takes the blame. That's what a scapegoat is, right? When we know that word from our 
our own language and usage, that it's the one who takes the blame. This goat takes the blame for the sins of the people. And this brings uh, reconciliation, atonement. Okay? All right. Then, it's, then in verse 23, we read, Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments uh, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for, uh, and for the people. And I'm going to jump down to verse 29. And this shall be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls, not to any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you. To cleanse you, you shall be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, we can stop there. So you can see... This is like the other side of the coin of repentance. The other side of the coin of repentance is reconciliation. God provided for the people a way for them to know that, uh, that they uh, uh, were once again in relationship with God. Uh, and so you have uh, this... Uh, now, you have the offerings on, on varieties of occasions... But this one day for the whole nation to be reconciled to God and to have a clean slate, uh, you know, and, uh, and to move forward. And so that is the meaning of the, uh, of the, of the holiday. Uh, this issue of being reconciled once again uh, to God. Now, later on in the prophets, we read about a promise of a permanent reconciliation. You know, and that is kind of like what, what we might understand, uh, you know, in, in the Jewish world to be the, the world to come where, uh, they, you know, there is no more, uh, no more sin, no more transgression uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, a permanent uh, reconciliation. So uh, we read, for example, in Isaiah 53, a passage that uh, we're probably familiar with. In Isaiah chapter 53, right? This is really a, uh, a promise or a demonstration of what it will be like in that day. Did you know that? That's what Isaiah 53 is. What it would be like in that day when people are singing a song of deliverance. Okay? So you read in Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so we see here uh, one who is understood to be the suffering servant who takes our sin upon himself. And then you have uh, this great promise in Jeremiah chapter uh, 31, 
Beginning in verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is my covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more, like once and for all. Uh, this great promise, you know, in the, uh, this great promise in the, new, uh, in the new covenant. So when then when we come to the pages of uh, the Brit uh, Chadashah scriptures, right? This, we have the prom, this promise of permanent reconciliation that is exactly uh, what the Messiah did. And even in the Gospels, we read in a number of places, but in um, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in uh, chapter 20, Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Give his life a ransom for many. And so we see here that Yeshua himself understood that his life would be a ransom. He would pay the price for us. And then this is articulated uh, in a number of different places, right? Uh, we read, for example, in the book of Romans, uh, in the third chapter, we read here uh, in verse uh, 23, 24, and 25, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Messiah Yeshua, whom God displayed publicly as a, and this is a big word, propitiation, right? In his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. Well, there's a lot of words there, right? But the point for us is, is that uh, Yeshua becomes this propitiation in, in his blood, through faith. What does that mean? It means that in the death of the, basically, bottom line, in the death of the Messiah, the wrath of God is abated, right? The judgment of God is abated. Sin must be judged. In, in the death of the Messiah, he takes the judgment on himself, and we become declared righteous before God. And that is a great truth. Uh, and, you know, these different words that are used, redemption, justification, propitiation in his blood, they all kind of remind us of, uh, indeed, of the, uh, of the Day of Atonement. That what, these, what this passage is teaching is that we're reconciled to God uh, by the blood of, uh, of the Messiah. And so it's interesting because, you know, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have this great little statement about reconciliation, about being reconciled to God, beginning in verse 18. Now, all these things are from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through the Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Messiah as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Messiah, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, yes, we have this great deal that God gives us. He takes our sin and becomes identified with our sin, and we get to be identified in his righteousness, and therefore be reconciled uh, uh, to God. You see, we could, we could repent all we want, return all we want, but if God is not willing to take our sin on himself, if God is not willing uh, to forgive us, then it's all for nothing. But you see, we have the assurance of knowing that in the Messiah, atonement has been made. And so therefore, why does Paul beg them to be reconciled? For us today, we don't have to bring an animal sacrifice. We don't have to beg We don't have to wonder, we receive. We receive this great gift of being reconciled, uh, being reconciled uh, uh, to a God. Now, we read in another place in uh, the book of Hebrews, in uh, chapter uh, 2. Another great uh, passage here regarding this fact that Yeshua abates the wrath of, of, of God. In uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become merciful and uh, he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make, there's that word again, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he himself was tempted in that which he also suffered and is able to come to the aid of those uh, who, are, uh, who are tempted. Okay? And so what do we see here? That uh, in the death of the Messiah, when we are, we are reconciled to God, right? And by being reconciled to, to God, we have the assurance that we're protected by him. He rendered powerless him who had the power of death that is, the devil, and that he might deliver those who through fear of death subject to slavery all their lives. So we don't have to be afraid when we're reconciled to God. We do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid of death. We do not have to be afraid of the devil. We do not have to, uh, we do not have to fear, you know? We might ask ourselves, I, I read a very interesting little illustration of this. Uh, we might ask ourselves, well, if I don't have to fear then uh, what, is, what is the issue with the enemy? And what, why is there any kind of, uh, 
uh, issue whatsoever. And uh, so uh, I read a great little story about it. This man who was a, he was a postman, uh, and he was delivering mail. And he's going up to this house and delivering mail, and there's this big dog. And the dog starts running after him, right? But the dog can, like, only go so far, right? Because the dog is on a chain. And he was beyond the length of the chain, right? And so he, see, he says, that's kind of like what happens with the enemy. The only way that anything can happen is if we get too close, you know? If we get too close, meaning uh, walking off the way of the Lord somewhere, then we can have problems with the enemy. But if we're walking with the Lord, he's chained up, you know? It can only go so far. And I thought that was, uh, that was, a, pretty good, uh, that was a pretty good example. Uh, and so Yeshua, by becoming one of us, right, uh, that unique uh, 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 life uh, that, that he lived, faced all of the issues that we faced, and, and the scripture here says that he is a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He made propitiation for us. He not only took away the guilt of our sins, but he abated the wrath of God. We do not have to be afraid of dying and facing the wrath of God. Uh, and, and so the sting of death is indeed removed. But not only that, but it says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he also is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And we read another scripture that he always provides a way of escape, and he empowers us with the, with the ruach, uh, and so being uh, reconciled to God gives us this great provision, uh, you know, of, um, of assurance uh, uh, without fear. But when it says here that he is a merciful and faithful high priest, if we move forward a few chapters into chapter 7 of uh, the book of Hebrews, in verse 25, it says there, hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that great? He always lives to make intercession. Yeshua intercedes for us at all times, at all times, because he is a merciful and faithful high priest. He makes intercession for us at all times. Not only then is it this, this moment, you know, uh, when he died for our uh, uh, sins, but we know that he was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is alive and forever protects us, forever makes intercession uh, uh, for us. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered uh, when he offered himself up, right? And so uh, again, reconciliation means confidence, assurance, and then also great boldness. In Hebrews chapter ten and verse nineteen, it says, "Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Messiah, by the blood of Yeshua." by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. So we are cleansed, just like on Yom Kippur in the days of the sacrifices. We are cleansed, we are purified in Messiah, we are reconciled, and we enter through a new and living way with boldness. We have entree into the presence of God all of the time. What gets in the way is sins. What, what hampers us? Our sins is walking away from the way of the Lord. And that's why we need to confess our sins. Like it says in 1 John, right? I, um, I, in chapter 1 and verse 9, that uh, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. That means very ex- experientially, we should never say, well, because I know the Lord, God knows the sins I'm going to do tomorrow, they're already forgiven. That is not how we're supposed to think. That is not, that is not how we, that is not a healthy way at all of thinking. Yes, by the death and the resurrection of the Messiah, yes, I, uh, when we embrace him, we have an assurance of forgiveness, but we need to confess our sins or we lose the fellowship that we have with God, the intimacy with God. And we should never have this idea that therefore it's okay that I did this thing because I'm already forgiven. That is not the way we're supposed to think. Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. That is not how a believer in the Messiah is supposed to think, right? It's taking God for granted, you know? Can you imagine if, uh, you know, if you're married and uh, you say, well, you know, uh, we have these marriage vows and I know that my husband loves me or I know that my wife loves me, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do, even though it's going to hurt them and it, and it, and it just uh, breaks everything, it breaks our vows everything. But I already know that, look, it's already signed, sealed, and delivered. Boom. You know? Uh, 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 there you go. That is obviously, that is a very poor way of thinking. And that is, and, and that is not how we should think even of our relationship uh, with, uh, with God uh, at all. We need to confess our sins. But we have the assurance and the confidence that when we do so, we are indeed uh, uh, forgiven. This is what Yeshua did for us to become what we might say to become uh, the uh, the day of atonement for us. The day that we receive the Lord is we might say our day of atonement. So one other place I wanted to turn to real quickly uh, is in First um, John chapter four. The motivation for all of this. What is the motivation uh, uh, for all of this? In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 9 and 10, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be, there it is again, the propitiation for our sins. The motivation for this is God's love for us, that God himself provided the reconciliation, not a process 
uh, of doing sacrifices, not a process of anything, but he himself initiated it and did it in Yeshua. That, uh, uh, that uh, Yeshua was judged for our sins, took the guilt of our sins upon him so that we could indeed be free and we could have uh, this intimacy uh, and uh, uh, relationship uh, with, with God. Now, in First uh, uh, Peter chapter uh, 2 in verse 24, here, so that we make sure we understand this, he says, he relates Yeshua to Isaiah 53, and he says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Isn't that interesting when he says here, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You've returned, he bore your sins. You returned, he bore your sins. Wow. And so even before we returned, he bore our sins. But when we return, we embrace we embrace him, and that reconciliation uh, indeed is made. And so the scripture says here that we're to humble our souls, right? And so what do we do? We fast. We might say, if we're Messiah followers, why do we fast? Well, we could say that it demonstrates for us our personal helplessness and our hope in God. That, you know, the word, um, the word for humble yourself, it's a tough word. You know, it, uh, it means basically to be oppressed, to be afflicted, to be subjugated, it's to, to, uh, to bow, to be humbled, right? Uh, and so as we fast on this day, this is a, a great opportunity for us to appreciate, right, uh, what God has done for us. And just like Isaiah, when he sees the glory of God, he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so when we are so thankful for these great things that God has done, right, uh, that we come with assurance and confidence and, and so on, but never in a, in a sense of like uh, being flippant uh, or cocky uh, you know, or arrogant, Wow, Lord, this is who I am in you, right? We need to come humbly before God, humbly and boldly at the same time. Another one of those great paradoxes uh, uh, as, uh, as Messiah followers, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, there's this great invitation in Isaiah chapter uh, 55. And it's true uh, uh, for us the day we came to know the Lord it's true for us uh, uh, today. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear to come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. 
according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Uh, and so everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Uh, the invitation uh, is there, receive the gift that God has to give of abundance, uh, of life, of reconciliation, you know? Uh, and so it's interesting, in a few minutes, we will have the opportunity to, uh, to uh, recite the attributes of God, you know, in Exodus chapter 34. And what's interesting is when you think about the golden calf, it's sort of like a paradigm of everything we're saying. And that here the people sin horribly. God is going to destroy them, but he doesn't, right? Because judgment must come. Moses intercedes. God says, okay, I won't destroy them, but I won't travel with them. Okay? So one could say that they're forgiven, but not quite yet reconciled. And then Moses says to God, God, no, if you don't go, we're not going. And then God says, okay, I'll go. And when God says, yes, okay, I'll go, then that depicts reconciliation. That now we're reconciled. Now we're in this place where sin is not in the way of our relationship. Uh, and God guides them and leads them. Even though they have further problems along the way, God sticks with them the whole time. And so this is a great truth. Now tomorrow we'll talk much more about how we practice atonement in our own lives in our relationship, uh, you know, uh, with, uh, with others. Because, I won't take the time now, but in that First John chapter 4 passage, it goes on to say that if God loved us this way, we need to love one another. What does that mean? You know, how do we practice atonement uh, in, in, our, in our lives? And, but there is a particular uh, way we can practice atonement in our relationship with others. We'll talk about that tomorrow, but, but we need to get it straight first that what this means in our own lives. And I hope that if we are stuck in the bondage of guilt and feel that all there is to life is despair, that we might recognize that God has indeed forgiven in the death and resurrection of the Messiah and that he has taken away our sins. Uh, and that we are free to love God. And as we said last time on, on Rosh Hashanah, and even last Shabbat, that when we return, right, he will heal our waywardness. He heals us in that reconciliation. We'll see this tomorrow. He heals us uh, in many different ways, you see? And so what a great gift indeed that is.